Hi there. You're about to enjoy a recording made in Wellspring Church. We're glad you've connected with us online. And of course, you can follow us on social media, even download the Wellspring app. But much better than this is meeting in person. We would love to welcome you to one of our services in a congregation near you. As you listen to this recording, know that we are praying for you to be encouraged, inspired, and given wisdom from heaven to live life to the full as Jesus intended and bring transformation to your world with his amazing love. God bless you. Hey guys, I'm actually really surprised there's so many people here. Like, why aren't you all on holiday? What's going on? It's late August. Has anyone been on holiday? Anyone been on holiday? Okay, did it rain? Yeah, it rained. It rained. We went on holiday a few weeks ago and it rained. I think it was every day it rained. Um, that's what it's like, isn't it? Everyone's stuck in the country to go on holiday and then it, you know, it's the one summer where we need it to be great weather and it's been like rain and, and the beaches are so packed, so jam-packed, aren't they? It's like, oh no, the one summer we need it to be oh, different. But, but it has been, I think, a great summer for one thing, which is sport. Hasn't it been a great summer for sport? Did anyone watch the Olympics? Brilliant, wasn't it brilliant? Team GB, like winning loads of stuff and all the different events and like all the, I don't know, running and swimming and biking and all kinds of things. It's really inspiring, I thought. And then it might be a bit soon to bring it up, but the Euros, the Euros was actually brilliant, wasn't it? I know it's painful, it's painful to talk about it and, and, the, and losing the final, but right, it's so exciting, that run, even if you're not into football. Just seeing that run and getting to the final, you know, really great having the whole country behind it and seeing all these people, you know, all these uh, athletes in Team GB and, and, and the footballers, you know, Kane and Sterling and, and Southgate and really great role models, really exciting kind of to watch and, and to have that as in the, in the public eye. And it's got me thinking a lot about um, what's impressive. You know, the Queen gave a, uh, a message to the England football team ahead of that Euro final. She said, I hope history records not only your success, but also the spirit, commitment, and pride with which you conduct yourselves. It's that idea that, you know, there's more than just the success involved. Um, and I, I, it got me thinking about what, what's impressive? What, what kind of people are impressive? I just wonder if just everyone can think of someone, just maybe a historical figure or anyone, someone you think is impressive. Have a, have a think, okay? Everyone got someone? So I guess uh, I'm going to just, you know, throw out there a few ideas of people that you might have thought of that might have come into your head. So maybe it was some kind of leader, maybe some kind of historical leader, political figure, someone who's done something great, you know, like a, a wartime leader, Winston Churchill, or a peacetime leader, you know, Barack Obama or someone else or something like that. Maybe it could be an inventor, like someone who's uh, built something up or created something uh, really impressive maybe a great business person, someone who's made a lot of money, or a visionary like Steve Jobs or Richard Branson, that kind of thing. Uh, maybe it could be an artist or like a musician or something who can create something in a way that no one else can. Maybe it'd be someone who's um, overcome a lot of difficulties and has set an example that way. Uh, maybe someone who's just achieved great things. And it's probably safe to assume that not everyone, but most of what everyone chose then uh, would tick one of these boxes. It would be money, fame, status, power, influence, achievement. It would tick one of those things, probably. 
And that's just normal. That's where we are. That's how humans work. We notice people who are the strongest. We notice people who are the loudest. People who are the most intelligent. People who are the cleverest. People who are the best looking. Everything like that. And it's always been like that. Humans have always worked that way. It works like that now. It's worked like that 50 years ago, 100 years ago, 1,000 years ago. Many thousand years ago, it's always worked that way. That's just how we operate. That's what the kinds of things that we notice about each other and then impress us. And then 2,000 years ago, Jesus came to earth and gave a really big sermon. And right at the start, he dropped a bombshell. He starts by saying this, Blessed are the poor in spirit. Theirs is, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And blessed are the meek. They will inherit the earth. What? What? That can't be right. They will inherit the earth. Hang on a minute. The poor in spirit. The people who aren't, like, haven't got a great spirit. The meek. Those, those guys who are like, a bit quiet and you know, they don't really say much. Those guys. What, how would they inherit the earth? What about all, the, all the, these amazing people? The people who made scientific discoveries. And the, the people who like, you know, led battles and, and defeated evil uprisings. What are those guys? Surely they deserve to inherit the earth, don't they? Why should the quiet, unassuming, unimpressive ones, frankly, be the ones who inherit the earth? People must have thought they misheard Jesus. What? Blessed is the Greek? What? <laughs> and, and that's where we start today. Why would God be interested in the poor in spirit and the meek? What is that all about? What can we learn from that? Okay, has anyone watched a, uh, a TV series that's recently uh, out called The Chosen? Has anyone heard of that? Okay, a few of you. It's great. If you've not heard of it, it's, a, it's like a new uh, program which is telling the story of Jesus' life, but from the perspective of people who interacted with him. So uh, the disciples and people who were healed and other people and uh, telling from their perspective, getting all their, like it fictionalized, but, uh, but trying to take close to the biblical account, just their backstory, and telling their story of, of kind of, uh, each episode is, is like this uh, journey that people go on. And, uh, and one thing that stood out to me in all that is how normal the disciples were, how just very basic and human they were, just like us, really. They had financial problems, they uh, struggled with relationships. Some of them were a bit weird. They had, like, they had challenges with getting on with each other. They were looking for their own status sometimes. And I'll just say that as a bit of context uh, to explain this next uh, passage that we're going to look at. We're going to look at Matthew 20, verse 20. So if you turn to that. And so, you know, in that sort of background, this is where we come to here. The mother of Zebedee's sons came to Jesus with her sons, and kneeling down, asked a favor of him. What is it you want, he asked. She said, grant me that one of these two sons of mine may sit at your right and the other sit at your left in your kingdom. You don't know what you're asking, Jesus said to them. Can you drink from the cup I'm going to drink? We can, they answered. Jesus said to them, you will indeed drink from my cup, but to sit at my right hand and my left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they are prepared by my father. When the ten heard about this, they were indignant with the two brothers, Jesus called them together and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them? Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you 
must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Money, status, power, all the things that the world puts a value on. Jesus says the opposite. He says, if you want to be great in God's kingdom, you must learn to be a servant. And everything in life is suddenly turned on its head. This whole thing, all that society puts a value on. And, and by society, I just mean the culture that we operate in, Western logic, not even Western, the logic of almost every country in the world is the same, which is that you spend your life, you build your wealth, you build your influence, you build everything you can until you die. I've got two young kids, and they um, are really into board games. And for the first time this week, they uh, played a game called uh, The Game of Life. Have you ever heard of that? Anyone played that? The Game of Life. If you haven't, it's this game where you basically uh, go on this board going around, and it's a life. And so you go through an education system. You might go to university. You might not. And then you might have children. You might get married. You might not. You get a different job. And, and the whole point of the game is you get as much money as you can, and that determines where you retire. That is the point of the game. So you might end up in the big mansion. You might get a cottage somewhere. That is the whole logic. But you know what? That doesn't even feel that weird because that is the whole way that society thinks. That is like it's our purpose. Like what can we build up? How much wealth can we get before we retire? Is that what it's all about? God calls us something different from us and it's completely countercultural. The greatest among you will be your servant. People who humble themselves. People, the poor in spirit, the meek. <laughs> the opposite to the proud in spirit, isn't it? The opposite to the, the proud. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. They inherit the earth. In Matthew 25, it talks about the, you know the parable of the sheep and the goats? When Jesus talks about that? He talks about the inheritance there. He says that, uh, then the king will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed by my Father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the earth. What did they do to earn that? What did they do? What was their role in it? He said, well, for I was hungry, you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison, you came to visit me. Acts of servanthood. Doing things for others. The meek, those who do things without complaining, they inherit the earth. And what does that mean then for us? For us normal people, what does it mean practically? We don't really have the role servant anymore, do we? Like, you can't really apply for jobs as a servant. Uh, that's a bit outdated, that term. Um, maybe you could become like a, an assistant or a, I don't know, what's the closest you'd get, like a, a waiter or, or something like that, some kind of helper. Um, do we need to all be, do that kind of job? Do we need to all join food banks and, and soup kitchens? Maybe, if that's what we're called to do. Uh, we can mix up job titles and roles and attitude. And what I mean by that is, have you ever experienced an assistant who doesn't really assist? <laughs> or have everyone ever had a manager who doesn't really manage? You can, you can have a job title. It doesn't actually mean you do that job particularly well. And what's 
Jesus, Jesus, was he a servant or a leader? Kind of both, right? What was Mother Teresa? Was she a leader? Was she a servant? I heard a great story the other day of a guy called Stephen Lungu, uh, who is a head of a big African missionary charity called Africa Enterprise. Uh, he died last year, but he's sometimes referred to as the Billy Graham of Africa. A really uh, amazing uh, and important man. This is him. And he was hugely respected, and he had traveled to different countries in Africa. And uh, he was very famous and very uh, well respected. And, uh, and someone who traveled with him uh, tells a story that I think they went to Malawi. And he woke up at 4 a.m. while everyone was asleep. And he went down and cleaned the kitchen. And then he made a meal for the kitchen staff. Not, not for any glory for himself, just to help them and to bless them. And you know what? The best leaders are the ones who serve. Aren't they? Can you be a leader and a servant? Yeah. You can actually be a servant in any role. You can be servant-hearted. Those people understand that their role is to support others. So it's not necessarily the role you do. It's, it's, it's how you do it. CEOs can be servant-hearted. Billionaires could be servant-hearted. I, I don't know if any are. Uh, superstars. Superstars can be servant-hearted. It's all about attitude. It's all about our attitude. And for me in church, um, I, I, I've done lots of different roles in time in, over the years. So uh, yeah, when I was young, I used to do the car park and you know, help the cars come in. And uh, then I've done things like, when I first joined this church, I did kids' work. Um, and then I've long played instruments and been in bands, I mean worship bands, I've led worship, I've led small groups, I've preached. And I can honestly say for me that the, the most rewarding role of those is being a worship leader. Uh, everyone wants to be your friend when you're a worship leader. And everyone gives you loads of compliments, it feels really good, and that's what I need, I really need the praise. Uh, and you know, someone like Johnny, Johnny actually is brilliant, so we should, we should always compliment him. Um, I clearly need the recognition. But you know what? The, the most unrewarding role for me was doing the kids' work. I just, so, it's so frequent that you wouldn't get any thanks. I found that so difficult. <laughs> Seriously, I did. And you know what? There's loads of people uh, involved in a church setup. Uh, loads of people. You know, there's a team downstairs right now uh, making all this multimedia stuff work. There's, uh, there's people doing the kids' work. There's people doing PA, there's, uh, you know, I've just noticed that the camera is not even supposed to have people on the cameras today. And, and Tim and Steph, two senior people, have stepped up just to do the camera work. Literally behind the scenes, doing stuff. And, you know, the worship band do work hard. Like before lockdown, they would have a, a practice during the week and they would uh, then get here at, before eight on a Sunday and go through a run through and then they would do a first service, and then they wouldn't have a break, and the second service, a long day, a lot of effort. Uh, and that, that is, you know, that is great that they, they work hard, and maybe we should say thank you to them. But you know who else works hard and doesn't even get noticed? The PA. Femi's doing the PA today. I, I'm guessing, Femi, how many times do people say thank you? The PA was brilliant today. <laughs> we didn't have any problems with the sound. It sounded really great. Well done. I'm guessing that is pretty rare. In fact, maybe never. 
<laughs> and my point is this, I, I, I'm not, I mean, it'd be great actually if we can all say thank you to these guys more often. That actually would be a, a great outcome. But there's something about attitude that those guys have got, those guys have grasped. It is not actually about them and getting thanks and praise and limelight. You know, there's the old adage, which is 90% um, of the work in the church is done by 10% of the people. We can do better than that, can't we? Can't we? Everyone, everyone here and watching, everyone has got something to offer. Everyone. There's so many roles that could do with help. And it's not just jobs. It's not just the sort of the being on a rotor, those kind of jobs that are important. Sometimes it's, it's hospitality. It's looking out for strangers. It's looking out for the marginalized. There's loads of different ways. You know, when I uh, arrived this morning, I uh, pulled up in my car and just in time for the prayer meeting that was going to happen before the service. And I was really just happy with myself that I arrived on time. And someone knocked on the window and said, can you tell me where the station is? I said, oh, yeah, Watford High Street's just there. And she said, no, no, the, the main Watford station. I need to get there. I don't know what to do. And I said, well, what, what's, what's the problem? She tells me this long story about how she had a car crash and she's been to hospital and, and she, needs to, she doesn't have a car now. She's got to get home and she needs to get to the station. And so, OK, well, I'll look on SatNav and see exactly where you need to go. And as I did that, God said to me, you take her. You take her. I thought, I've got a prayer meeting. I can't do that. <laughs> he said, you're preaching on this. Do it. Wow. So I took her to the station, and I made it back for the prayer meeting. That was good. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what? As I, was, as I was driving back, no, but this is not, not actually about what a great thing I did. But as I was driving back, Jesus said to me, God said this. He said, often these kinds of acts, these servanthood, are in the moment. They're in the moment. They're things that you just have a, an opportunity to help. Someone needs a lift. I'll do it. The washing up needs doing. Okay, I'll do it. Something's broken. I'll, I'll try and fix it. Something needs tidying up. Okay, I'll do it. That kind of thing. And what about in our relationships? How could we be serving in those? Sometimes, you know, people might have been... I don't know, angry, and you have to forgive, you have to be giving. Sometimes people need space. Okay, I'll give you that. Sometimes uh, you just need to uh, be a listening ear, perhaps. Sometimes people need encouragement. There's so many ways that we can actually be creative in this and help others. You say, well, I'm busy. I totally agree. I, I, I'm busy too, and I totally get it. And you know what? It would be a really bad outcome if at the end of this, uh, you, you thought, oh, no, I've got, to do, I've got to do jobs in church. I've got to start doing the washing up more. Oh, no. <laughs> you know, this is not legalism. This is not what we're interested in. And that would be bad for everyone. All I'm asking here is that we consider our attitude, me included. And we're talking about, essentially, to do that, we're talking about humility, how we think of ourselves. And it's completely countercultural. It's, it completely goes against what society values and our own desires, to be honest. But it's the example that Jesus gave. And, it, you know, there's loads of movies about heroes. Not many movies about helpers and servants, is there? No. So it's always going to be 
a bit of a challenge. It's always going to be a bit different. In Philippians, Paul says this, Philippians 2. He says, if you've got anything at all out of following Christ, if his love has made any difference in your life, if being in a community of the Spirit means anything to you, if you have a heart, if you care, then do me a favor. Agree with each other. Love each other. Be deep-spirited friends. Don't push your way to the front. Don't sweet-talk your way to the top. Put yourself aside and help others get ahead. Don't be obsessed with getting your own advantage. Forget yourselves long enough to help, lend a helping hand. Think of yourselves the way that Christ Jesus thought of himself. He had equal status with God, but didn't think so much of himself that he had to cling to the advantages of that status no matter what. Not at all. When the time came, he set aside the privileges of deity and took on the status of slave. Became human. Having become human, he stayed human. It was an incredibly humbling process. He didn't claim special privileges. Instead, he lived a selfless, obedient life and died a selfless, obedient death. And the worst kind of death at that, a crucifixion. So Jesus had all the essential qualities of God, but he didn't use that to improve his status. It'd be like, I was thinking, what would that be like? It'd be like someone who's incredibly rich, living in abject poverty their whole life. Or someone who's intensely strong, being beaten and in pain and never responding. And Jesus was that perfect example of not showing off. But it was more than that. If anything, it wasn't just not showing off. He did the opposite. He went the opposite way. So he, he, he went lower. He humbled himself so much that like practically he washed the disciples' feet. He didn't have to do that. He went from deity to human, but then he went from human to an even lowest kind of level where he would be in pain and humiliated. He took on uh, so much. Uh, it wasn't just that he didn't attain to a higher status. He went lower. He went as low as he could. And that is his example to us. And he was the most important person who ever lived. And we can think of like importance, can't we? You can think of like some people being more important and uh, some types of roles being more important. And Jesus says, "Forget all that. Forget it." He, he tells a, a story in, in Luke 14. He says, uh, "When you noticed." how the guests picked the places of honor at the table. Jesus told them this parable. When someone invites you to a wedding feast, do not take the place of honor, for a person more distinguished than you might have been invited. If so, the host who invited both of you will come and say to you, give this person your seat, and then humiliated, you'll have to take the least important place. But when you're invited, take the lowest place, so that when your host comes, he'll say to you, friend, move up to a better place, then you'll be honored in the presence of your other guests. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Those who humble themselves, poor in spirit, the meek. And I wonder if we can think about how often we make the effort to humble ourselves. It's not a nice thing to do. How often do we question our attitude? In Romans, it talks about playing second fiddle. Play second fiddle. So in an orchestra, they, the first violin is like the leader of the orchestra. They have the, the prime place and they might have the solos. The second fiddle, is often that part is just as hard. But they get none of the praise, 
none of the times, none of the limelight. I suppose what we're saying here is that someone else might get the credit. Someone else might get the thanks. Maybe no one says thank you to you, and that's the point. We're not doing this for recognition, and we might not get any reward on earth. But you know who sees? God sees. This is what God notices. And so for each of us, I just wonder if we could take a minute to think of ways in which all this applies to us practically. Is there a role, is there a way we can help in church? Are there things we can do to behave differently at at work, at school, among friends, among family? Is there something we can do in those things which is more servant-hearted? And it's not about the number of jobs. I really don't want this to be about the number of jobs we do or any kind of guilt or anything like that. We're just recognizing Jesus' example here. And we're trying to follow his example of humility and serving others. And it goes against culture and it goes against our own desires. But you know what? We have a higher ideal. We have a higher ideal, guys. We have a higher reward too. A higher reward in heaven. I'm just wondering, we can do this. We can do it. Johnny, John, could you just join me on here? Uh, I just wonder if we can do something uh, slightly different to finish, uh, and that is uh, pray a prayer together, which is actually a piece of liturgy. And I know it's like, whoa, what's going on? We're not in an Anglican church. We can't do a bit of liturgy. Uh, there are actually some really beautiful, very powerful prayers. Uh, and this is one uh, which is all about humility. And I warn you, it's really challenging. Really challenging. Uh, some parts of it that are about uh, just what we might consider our normal desires, and we pray that that we'd hand them over to God, and He might help us to be less bothered about ourselves to the point that we might not even worry about our reputation or about our role in life or even our own happiness. That kind of level we're talking about. I wonder if we can just stand and read this together. So there are, there are some parts that, if you do find some parts too much to say, then just don't. Maybe don't say them. Maybe just ponder those and think, why do I find that so hard to say? But as best we can, let's see if we can just humble ourselves truly before our Father God uh, by praying this. So I'll read the normal text, and then we all say the bits in bold. So if we could have that on screen. Okay. So we all read this first bit. O Jesus, meek and humble of heart, hear me. From the desire of being esteemed, deliver me, O Jesus. From the desire of being loved, deliver me, O Jesus. From the desire of being extolled, deliver me, O Jesus. From the desire of being honored, deliver me, O Jesus. From the desire of being praised, deliver me, Jesus. From the desire of being preferred to others, deliver me, O Jesus. From the desire of being consulted, deliver me, O Jesus. From the desire of being approved, deliver me, O Jesus. From the fear of being humiliated, deliver me, O Jesus. From the fear of being despised, deliver me, O Jesus. From the fear of suffering rebukes, 
deliver me, O Jesus. From the fear of being defamed, deliver me, O Jesus. From the fear of being forgotten, deliver me, O Jesus. From the fear of being ridiculed, deliver me, O Jesus. From the fear of being wronged, deliver me, O Jesus. From the fear of being suspected, deliver me, O Jesus. That others may be loved more than I, Jesus, grant me the grace to desire it. That others may be esteemed more than I, Jesus, grant me the grace to desire it. That in the opinion of the world, others may increase and I may decrease. Jesus, grant me the grace to desire it, that others may be chosen and I set aside. Jesus, grant me the grace to desire it, that others may be praised and I go unnoticed. Jesus, grant me the grace to desire it, that others may be preferred to me in everything. Jesus, grant me the grace to desire it, that others may become holier than I, provided that I may become as holy as I should. Jesus, grant me the grace to desire. Thanks for listening to this recording. We hope it has encouraged you, challenged you, and more than anything, that you've heard the voice of God and been aware of his presence with you wherever you are. Do share with us any answers to prayer or get in touch if there is any way we can help you further on your journey with God. Come and see us on Sunday or you can email us at admin at wellspring-church.org. May God be near you and his peace be yours for the remainder of this day. In Jesus' name, amen.